back, golden hour. We got the Vermont Penors version going on right now with a one-of-a-kind guest, Mr. Kenan Young. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're here at the Vermont Gem Lab on uh, Church Street in Burlington, Vermont. It's where you can come and get some fine jewelry work done. And um, so you've been in this business quite a while now, huh? This is my 19th year. Wow. 19th year. That's impressive. Yeah. What, uh, what made you want to get into the whole jewelry and gem business? Um, I lucked out actually. Um, both of the high schools that I attended in MMU and Jericho and Salt Lake City, Utah offered a jewelry course. Um, and it was the one thing that I enjoyed like more than even like recess and, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, so I said, why not thought to myself, actually, why not do something that I enjoy in life? You know, money's good and all, but if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you know, you're, you're going to burn out on it. You're never going to last. Absolutely. So. No doubt. And so, uh, took quite a bit of schooling to get to where you're at, right? Yeah. Um, why don't you tell um, us a little bit about all your credentials and whatnot? Sure. Um, when I turned, uh, 18, I left Jericho, moved to, uh, San Francisco, um, studied at the Revere Academy of Jewelry Arts. Um, I was there for about a year, um, give or take. Um, I then went down to uh, Gemological Institute of America in San Diego, uh, learned gemology, which is how to grade and identify colored stones and diamonds. Um, and then I studied uh, through the American Society of Appraisers, um, valuation and personal property, which is how to, how to appraise what gives value, take, takes value, um, that sort of thing. Um, I spent uh, a year at Champlain College when I got back studying e-business. Um, got my highest credential, ASA, MGA. I think there's just over 60 of us in the world. I got that five years ago, somewhere in there, four or five years ago. So. And that makes you a master gemologist? Master, ASA, master gemologist appraiser. Yeah. Damn. So you're basically like the, the brain surgeon of, of uh, gems, if you will. Yeah, we're up there. I mean, there's there's certainly uh, gemologists that you know working for the laboratories that know far more than I do. Um, so it's more uh, uh, ASA MGA is more um, appraisal studies, uh, working with anyone from the general public um, to banks, insurance companies, U.S. government. Anytime where there's uh, jewelry involved in a conflict. Um, that's that's what we do. We help to solve uh, the conflict and level the ground saying that uh, This much jewelry is worth this much money so that you guys can solve your equation and, and move forward Yeah, and so by so, law you're very like locked in there. You have to be super honest and yeah well one of the uh, one of the requirements for being an appraiser or, or a qualified appraisal is objective neutrality um, I can have no interest in the subject property whatsoever, right? So if you go into uh, a, a, a gold buyer or a pawn shop or something like that and say, I'm, I would like to sell this, can you appraise it for me? I mean, that's immediately disqualifies the person that's appraising it because they want to purchase that item. They're, they're, uh, they're uh, objectively biased. So. Okay, all right. So now you've done some work with the U.S. Customs and the border. I have, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. pretty cool. See some exciting stuff up there. Straight out of the movies. Yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. Uh, some of the craziest stuff that you've come across? I cannot tell you that, yeah. unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, sorry, would, I would love to, but 
Um, yeah. Sorry, folks. Hey, I tried. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, no doubt. Well, uh, so what would you say are some of the um, big misconceptions about someone in your position? Because I'm sure you get all types of... I mean, Yeah, I would say the biggest one is... Um, that an appraiser can look at an item and immediately know what the value is, as if we have some sort of encyclopedia or dictionary or, or price list downloaded into our memory banks. We can say, oh, uh, that's, uh, I see what it, like, literally at a party, here's a diamond, yeah. tell me what the grades are and how much it's worth, and that sort of thing, which is literally impossible. Um, grading and identifying alone, you have to have highly specialized equipment. Um, a, a master diamond set, for example. Um, I have a, a set of seven diamonds that I use for color grading. Um, they don't make them anymore. It, uh, it was, I got this one, uh, this was graded in 1989. I, got, I was online at just the right time, an appraiser from Virginia was retiring, um, and I was the first one to respond and say, I, I would like that. Um, and it's one of the requirements of a certified gemological laboratory, um, which the, the Vermont Gem Lab is. So the, the color differences between diamonds is so minis or minute, yeah. if you will, that if you're at a party and someone shows you a diamond, you know, are they wearing a yellow shirt? Are they wearing, you know, the color of their shirt just by holding the diamond oh, wow. would throw that diamond off. Not even to mention, um, you know, the, the lighting in that environment or something like that. So given that it's literally impossible to, to grade anything in an environment like that, then you can move on to putting a monetary value on it, right? So a, a diamond, a diamond by grade, if it's D flawless, say around one carat, if it's D flawless compared to like an SI2, um, F or, or H color somewhere in there, um, you're talking probably $10,000 in difference, yeah. something like that. So, so, alpha, how am I, so the alphabet becomes pretty important. In the <laughs> certainly does. I'm glad I learned that one early on in my life. Nice. That's what's up. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the different credentials that you've gotten over the years? I know you said you were certified as a master yeah, geologist. Um, so at Revere, I got uh, CBJT, which is Certified Bench Jeweler Technician through the Jewelers of America. Um, GIA uh, is GG after my name or graduate gemologist um, and then the last is ASA MGA and there, there were like a couple climbing the ladder uh, things in the middle there okay but, yeah nice so you're pretty happy that you went down this path yeah I mean I, I I would say I'm equally happy that I went down the path of the gems and jewelry industry and equally happy that I went down the path of being a business for myself yeah. Because either one of those, without the other, could have could have resulted in failure and me being unhappy and, and changing changing something. Yeah. And so, so now this location we're in here now is your, I believe, third, right? It's my third location. I started in the Kilburn and Gates building. I was there for five years. Um, it was okay. You know, it's the roof leaked every time it rained, and uh, it was ruled with an iron fist at the time. Um, but decent for starting up. The South End Art Hop was a phenomenal uh, event. I got over a thousand people through my studio at one time. And mind you, this is a time where there's no internet, yeah. right? So getting people into your into your office or studio is is really really valuable. Um, 
I was there for five years. Uh, then I was at the, at the top block of Church Street for 12 years, um, 13 years, something like that. Um, quite a long time. Um, really liked the location, um, but I, it was very, very small. Yeah. Um, shoebox type. Yeah. In so fact, it was we... literally a broom closet before. Yeah. Before I said, I want that one. He's like, you want me to get the brooms out? I'm like, do you mind? Yeah. So, uh, and how long have you been here in this current location? Uh, just over a year. Year That's... and three months. And what's the like actual uh, address for people who might want uh, to? 113 Church or the Lunix building. Okay. And downtown. you're strictly by appointment these days, mm -hmm. yeah? By appointment. I buzz people in. That keeps me safe and allows my clients to be able to show me their their fine jewelry without uh feeling uh distressed or things like that so yeah yeah there's uh you got you got it on lock pun intended yeah yeah um that's sweet well so maybe uh you could tell us a little bit more about like sort of some of the things that you really enjoy about being your own business owner you know besides the, the obvious. yeah i mean there's there's a lot to it um I, I certainly enjoy the freedom that it brings you. That that's one of my favorites. So I hadn't I think I might have set an American world record on this, I'm not sure, but I hadn't set an alarm for fourteen years straight. Unless it was like uh, you know, an airplane or like a specific uh like business group meeting or something like that. Um, I hadn't set an alarm and woke up when my body told me to wake up for 14 years straight until I had a child and then it was all over. <laughs> and then you <laughs> had a different kind of alarm. Yeah, it's a very different kind of yeah. alarm. So um, congratulations. Not a bad one. Thank you. Thank Your daughter you. is how old now? Almost She's old. approaching two. Oh. She's uh, 20, 21 months. Nice. Yeah. That's what's up. And so um, based on the fact that this whole uh, series we're starting now, Vermontrepreneurs, is all about, obviously, just like it sounds, um, people from Vermont that are our entrepreneurs. Uh, we're happy to kick things off with you and have you out Hey, here. I'm honored. You know, we've been friends for over 20 years at this point. Yeah. And uh, yeah. so it's nice to just get to sit down and yeah, talk, a, talk a little shop. Yeah. Again, pun intended. Just got to excuse the dad jokes, but, you know. Well, we're both dads, so dads this might be uh, saturated <laughs> in this particular yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so what goes into, you know, if somebody wants to get at you to have you make something custom or what mm. are some of the, you know, what are the do's and don'ts, if you will? Yeah, I mean, so what I do is a little bit different than your average jeweler, right? So people come in uh, to my store sometimes, like expect me or expect to be able to like browse and look at different designs. Um, and really what I do is custom design. So that's 90% of my work these days. Um, so it's, I, I create rings that there's only one like it in the world and it was made specifically for someone. Okay. So I want to know what that person does as, as a profession. I want to know, uh, that person's, um, hobbies, um, their Things, uh, religious uh, uh, beliefs, uh, all sorts of depth, so I can understand how to create a piece of art or an object of art that matches that person's life, love, and style. Yeah, um, that's so cool that you actually refer to it as art because that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, you're not just there banging out, you know, thousands of the same thing or whatever. Like, you're really putting your creative flow into yeah. it all. Yeah, and it it takes it literally takes. Uh, uh, a decent amount of empathy and uh, 
um, I don't know how to say it, heart from me. Like if I don't give that to the to the object that I'm making, like it shows. It's it's uh, innocuous. It's um, uh, it doesn't express the love between two people. Yeah. So um, I had a one a mentor of mine long ago said something that always stuck with me that I I don't sell jewelry. I sell romance, wow. and that romance is. Um, it, it truly is the product. That sounds like uh, so. it should be trademarked if it's not already. So, <laughs> lay, lay off, folks. TM. <laughs> yeah, TM. Uh, with that being said, uh, so you recently started another business or another spec yeah. business um, mm -hmm. called Starlust. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, that is uh, that is more production, um, and it's based on astrology. Um, I took uh, every astrological symbol and combined them with each other. So um, the idea is still that selling romance, and it's there's no better of a symbol that I've found or know of um, than a zodiac sign to represent a person, right? So if you have a representation of a person and you combine those two people, then you have a, an excellent representation of that bond between those two people. Um, so that can be mother-daughter, husband-wife, um, really any relationship between uh, two hum human beings. Yeah. BFFs, bridesmaids, um, something like that. And uh, it's very personal and it's, it's right here. You can carry that person around with you. Um, remember that person under anxious moments and, and things of that nature. So how many combinations are there of... Oh, your dad and I punched that. It's a weird <laughs> number too. Uh, there's 76. Okay. There's 76 different combinations, um, and uh, it has been a roller coaster getting that uh, together. Yeah. Um, your dad was probably the largest help um, in that process. In terms of like a CNC knowledge and whatnot. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways that you can make an item. A lot of a lot of different ways to skin a cat, so to speak. Um, I could make each one of those combinations, um, I could carve it by hand out of wax, then I could cast that, mold it, um, I could create it in CAD, which is what I did, uh, 3D print that, cast it, mold it, and mold is like a rubber mold. Yeah. Um, but I went for a different way that produces a much higher quality product um, much, much faster. Um, which is uh, CNC milling uh, brass C360 molds um, to be able to inject them with a the thermoplastic and cast from that. So um, I can bring the cost down substantially um, and the resolution between a 3D printer and these is about 40 times greater. Wow. Um, so the 3D printer is 4 microns, this is 1 micron, um, 0.001 and 0.04, um, if I said that correctly. Um, so it's a it's a higher quality, more affordable product. Um, it was just a, a real, really difficult time creating that foundation of, of that part of the business. Yeah. So, so so how how long in the making has that process been? Over two years. Okay. And Over now two and years. now you're finally launched. I don't know if I can say that. No. And everybody asks that specific question. I don't think that there's such a thing as a launch okay right I don't think that like you know maybe it's like a party where people get together and say it's official that sort of thing but there are so many steps along the way that it's like well was I launched when I had a mediocre website 
and that I made myself and all the molds were done so I could manufacture that. Is that launched? Or is it launched when I get 5,000 followers on Instagram and I'm finally featured in this and people actually know about it? Yeah. Um, so there's so many, it, it's like, it's all gray territory and the only black and white is like start and shut down. So yeah. are, are they available now? They are, and, yep. And it's uh, Starla, it? starlustjewelry.com. All right, starlustjewelry.com. And uh, I can attest to the fact that they're beautiful pieces. I actually got one. Um, and yeah, I was super happy with it. So thank you for that. Appreciate Absolutely. it very much. Um, where do you see kind of sky's the limit for your business? On, uh, yeah. You know. Well, one of the reasons I started Starlust is I saw the glass ceiling in Burlington. And when I'm selling custom engagement rings, um, I have to put that part of my heart in it, as we were talking before. And there's only one of me. Yeah. So unless I wanted to hire someone that has my same credentials and abilities, which they would never work for me, they'd, they'd start their own store. Um, it's really, really hard in a small town like this. So I, I sort of saw that glass ceiling. Um, I could, you know, move downstairs to Church Street, start paying $5,000 a month rent, um, you know, get a $150,000 build in, pay for employees, you know, that whole thing. But then I'd be a salesperson. Then I'd be selling things out of a case. I wouldn't be creating custom jewelry and things like that. Yeah. Um, so thinking about that as my fate for the next 20 years wasn't particularly exciting. Um, and I would lose my freedom too yeah. because I have to be open those, those times. A lot of restrictions for brick and mortars these days. It sounds like you really appreciate being able to have your own hours and go with your own pace. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, once you get that in your life, it's really difficult to, to change that. I, I, or, can, I can relate. Yeah. I can relate. Yeah. Uh, no doubt. So where do you see um, the Starlust going? Will it will it be something that um, will always be through your own website or will you have places? Yeah, I mean, I, I have it in one store um, in North Carolina right now, uh, Bailey's. Um, and um, that's a tough decision whether I choose to, uh, you know, wholesale and retail or just retail. Um, it's tricky. And I, I think things in general are going more direct to consumer. Um, B2C is more accessible every day. I mean, with Instagram, TikTok, one correct video that goes viral and you have a million people, two million people that have seen your product. And how many, how many times of a person walking into a jewelry store to walk by a case and see that would it take? I mean, that's years and years and years of, of higher foot traffic to achieve the same amount of um, reach. Yeah, so, so do you think uh, in this age of social media and, um, you know, just how much everyone's online and everything, have you seen a change in the way that you conduct business? Uh, me personally or people in general? Uh, I would say for you personally. Um, yeah, I mean, when I started in 04, there was no internet. So back in the day, it was like yellow pages or who you know, yeah. which is kind of vicious, man. <laughs> like, and the yellow pages, by the way, I think I was paying $300 a month at one point 
And three hundred dollars in two thousand and four dollars is substantially more. Yeah. Uh, that makes me feel old. Um, but and that's like to have like a quarter page ad that they print out once in one magazine distribute, and then you pay them three hundred dollars per month for an entire year. Yeah. So what's your um, promotional? What do your promotions look like these days? Is it all just word of mouth? Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, um, I don't promote a lot. I don't advertise anywhere. Um, just being having having a solid website, your portfolio on there, and being listed correctly is enough exposure for someone like myself to to do quite well. Yeah, and now what's the website that people can go to? Uh, VermontGemLab.com. All right, VermontGemLab.com, and we'll put a link in the description as well. But uh, yeah, I I can tell you not only because this is a good friend of mine, but I can tell you that he takes pride in his work and it's uh it's the highest quality, like absolutely. And like you Thank said, you. you definitely put your heart into it. Yeah. Um, so well, if I'm not cranking things out, I can spend the time that I need to to address any issues that are there. Yeah. So then it becomes a question of am I lazy or do I want to actually do it correctly? Yeah. Which of course is the latter. Yeah. So do you um. Are there things that annoy you the most about, you know, not only just being your own owner, but uh, just the industry? Like, are there, what are there, like, some common requests you get where you're just like, nah, man, get out of here? I mean, I, I'm, I'm of the type where no question is a bad one, you know, and everybody has been at that point at some point in their life, you know, so I can't be annoyed at something where I have been and ev literally everyone has been at, at some point too. Um, there are certainly absurd requests. You know, people call me and say, I would like something custom made today. Oh yeah, which happened earlier when we were sitting here. <laughs> and I'm sorry, that's not that's not possible. Yeah, so right um, now you're, I hear you say you're about eight to 10 weeks out on custom yep. pieces. Yep. All right, about so that. something for people to keep in mind if, uh, Prepare a little bit, Yeah, you know. Um, if someone's trying to propose and they want something custom made in like three weeks, one, it's almost definitely not going to be truly custom. You know, it's made of component parts and, you know, your ability to, to actually uh, control that design is, is much lower. Um, but, you know, for, for someone wearing that engagement ring, um, it's like the boat that a lot of guys want, you know, like the, the dream car or the dream boat, like that's how important it is. So it's not something to like get, you're never going to get your dream boat with the base model engine, yeah. right? You're just going to, you're, you're going to hate the thing or want to trade it in or sell it or upgrade, you know, whatever. So, um, to put it as a, uh, as a relationship thing or a relational thing, um, it's it's that important. In fact, I might argue more. Yeah. Cars and boats kind of change over the years, whereas that is the thing. Yeah, hopefully you're only buying that ring once. Absolutely. <laughs> and over 19 years, I think I've had to remake rings three times. Not a single one was my fault. Okay. It was she didn't like it, which right. I don't know exactly what she likes or not. So. Yeah. Now, so you often like sitting there hand in hand with the person as, you know, they give you the whole, or how, what's the process look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, a lot of guys, you know, guys will come in and literally be shaking. They're so nervous because yeah. they're expensive items 
It's a highly subjective medium, um, and they don't know what to expect. They don't, they're not sure whether they're going to run into someone that wants to take advantage of them or something like that. I, I mean, I, I probably a, a lot of reasons why they're nervous. Yeah. But they're that nervous. And typically, I, in those circumstances, I can get them to calm down within you know, 20, 30 minutes of saying, like, look, there's no pressure here. I'm, we're just sitting here so I can give you information that you're looking for. And if nothing else, um, you'll have more information when you leave. Yeah. So um, my process is definitely low uh, pressure. I'm, I'm not interested in running a shark tank. I'm not interested in, in pushing people. Um, and I've found that when people are pushed, they typically don't, re it, the end product isn't exactly as they want it. Um, you really have to be able to talk to people and get through to someone in a in a relaxed state versus a fight or flight state for them to really be able to open up and give for me to get out of them what I need to to be able to create um, something excellent. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you need to create this environment where they can feel comfortable and um, so that you can be receptive to all kind of what they, what they may not even know exactly what they need, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, so when someone's operating in a fight-or-flight mode, they're in a sort of um, ancient state, right? And, and that, that sort of uh, fight-or-flight mode has been carried on and, and kept humans alive since the days that we had to run from lions. Um, you know, the guy that was sit, sitting relaxed in the field, you know, plucking flowers, he got gobbled up. The rest of us that didn't get gobbled up is because we had high anxiety and we were looking around worried about it. And because so, we didn't live where there were lions, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it's, you know, anxiety is a necessary thing um, and it's, um, it can be helpful if you know how to manage it and, and things like that. But it's typically not a time where you're going to be able to have deep thought. It's a very shallow thought process of like, do I fight? Do I run? And actually, uh, now that it comes up, um, there is a third one called fainting goat, which a lot of us did during COVID. Yeah. You know, you, we can't fight this uh, virus. We can't run from the virus. So we stayed in place and we just sort of fainted and kind of shut down. Um, but uh, yeah, I, in order for me to do my job to the best of my ability, um, I can't have my clients in that state of fear or fright or, or high anxiety. So um, yeah, environment is part of it and, and uh, really reassuring that there's no pressure, that uh, you're not gonna hurt my feelings if you don't buy from me. Yeah. In fact, I will literally recommend other stores that I like and respect in the neighborhood. Um, if they wanna see inventory, if they wanna talk to other people. Um, and it's when people understand that, that they become more comfortable and, and they're now in control, right? And that's that's where I want them. Um, and yeah, it's a lot a lot easier than than the latter. Yeah. So um, I mean, this space is super comfortable here. So what does a normal like consultation or whatever look like? Yeah. So I sit down with people, um, and I wrote an engagement ring manual, which is uh, available on my website, and that goes through. Um, we'll talk about stones, we'll look at inclusions in stones, we'll talk about the qualities. Um, I'll give my opinion on what I believe uh, qualities, um, what I would go for, if you will. Um, I'll go through precious metals, 
um, show examples of all these things. Um, and then I'll show uh, methods of manufacturing. Um, this is how wax is carved. This is how um, CAD, is, uh, CAD designs are created. Here's a 3D printer. Um, so really start to finish. Um, here are our materials. Here's how we can assemble them. Here's the finish line and here's what it costs at the finish line. Um, so it's a good, typically an hour, hour and a half um, of sitting down and it's, it's just highly informational. Right. Um, and narrowing down most of the possibilities so that we have one glimpse of where we where we want to end up. And then at so, what point are you um, doing a render or whatever of... Um, when I'm under product? contract. So uh, that's a common question, um, particularly when people order like a standard ring, you know, like if they want like a, a four-prong solitaire. I'm not going to make that in CAD. I could show you 30 different versions of that through 50 manufacturers. Um, so I'll order that and some of them will be like, well, do I get a rendering of it? The, the rendering is actually the manufacturing of it. I'm actually manufacturing it in a 3D environment and that's that actually takes longer than any other part of the process. Even more than the, the actual physically finishing, crafting. setting stones, uh, anything else. Sourcing hard stones can take longer, but the most laborious part is typically the, the CAD rendering or, or that part. Um, and I charge $600 for a CAD rendering, and that's probably the lowest hourly rate, rate that I charge for any other service. Yeah. So. And now, where are you sourcing um, your materials from? Great question. Um, it really depends on the materials. Um, Sapphires and color stones. Um, I have two dealers that I really like dealing with that source out of Sri Lanka. Um, and uh, one person in Thailand. Um, diamonds. Uh, diamonds are now in two categories, natural or lab-grown diamonds. Um, lab-grown, um, I get from New York, New York, as well as diamonds, uh, natural diamonds, New York and Chicago. Um, where the diamonds come from before that is not information that I'm particularly privy to. Huh. Um, the the KPT, KPCS process or Kimberly, Kimberly process certification scheme um, is one measure that uh, tracks diamonds typically from uh, mined to manufacturer, um, but I'm not privy to inside of that. So people aren't able to be like, I want a diamond that's from here, or how do people make sure that they are? Not, not really. That's slowly changing. Block, blockchain technology is, is uh, becoming more prevalent in my industry, which is great. Um, but um, there is a saying, an old saying in my, in my industry, that there's only two people that know where a stone came from, and that's God and the miner. Right. Um, outside of that, um, there are GIA is now issuing country of origin reports for diamonds, but they have to be rough. Um, so they and actually have KPCS certificates, I believe. Don't quote me on that. So they're they're putting these pieces together on the blockchain so that we can establish that uh, that line, mm -hmm. um, the blockchain uh, technology. So we're we're getting there. Um, when it comes to like colored stones. Um, my Sri Lankan dealer is from Sri Lanka. He goes to Sri Lanka, hand selects them, and then I buy from him. Okay. So I can say within a reasonable, you know, buffer that 
those are indeed Sri Lankan stones. Um, I'm also trade, trained in uh, country of origin um, with inclusions inside gemstones. And we can also get GIA reports uh, that say country of origin on them. So you're going so. right to the source. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe a person or two removed, but you yeah. know, he's getting them from a miner in Sri Lanka. So, you yeah. know, yeah. How are the uh, conditions for mining or changing these days? Do you, are you familiar with that? Yeah, other? so th that's a wonderful question. Um, if you think about things, uh, where do I approach that? What angle do I approach that? So if you, if you picture like Madagascar, there are a lot of artisanal mines that are uh, like children with, um, I don't know what the name of the basket is, but mining through rivers, sifting through pebbles in, in the river. And uh, if we were doing that in the US... It'd be child slavery. It would be child slavery. It would be like very, very wrong. And I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. Um, what I am saying is that that has been done for, with those for families for a long, yeah. long time. And it's how those families put food on the table. You know, um, there are certainly places um, that... So I guess what I'm saying by that first part is the understanding of exactly what is a conflict-based thing is, is really Subjective. actually quite quite difficult yeah um, and it's probably gonna vary by person you know there's no sound definition it's like where do your morals lie yeah and you know we're talking about these you know look at the shoes we're wearing look at the minerals and the cell phones that we have look at the steel on the bus that bus or car that that we came over on yeah you know all of these industries like there are some difficult things that happen in them that are overlooked because they're seen maybe it's that they're a they're survival they're normalized yeah they're they're normalized they're survival products not a thrival product they're non-romantic products so is it only so is it is is are people's moral compass only if it's a romantic thing yeah it has to be guaranteed conflict free because that's a pretty weird moral compass there's a little bend in the needle on that moral compass well a lot of a lot of relationships require some bending but uh, <laughs> you know um so just back to the kind of running your own business and all that since you've been doing it for like you said 19 years now at this point what advice would you give to either aspiring business owners or people that are new like what are you know what yeah what kind of can you point um out? a couple things that help me um only do it if you like what you're doing. If you're, you know, making origami out of newspaper over and over, like might be cool for the first like 30 origamis, but yeah. by the 2000th, I could pretty much guarantee that you're going to be pretty miserable. Yeah. Um, so you really need to have a love for what you're doing. Um, money is necessary. So even if it's romantic and fun, there, there is always that facet of being funded and being able to survive. Um, when it comes to that survival, um, I would find one thing that you do, one thing that you can withstand doing over and over that produces decent money. So um, one way that I discovered that or, or figured that out 
um, I was at a point, it was like year five, and I was sort of teetering, and I was trying to figure out whether to go for it or not. Um, and I said, well, I'm, I'm five years in, um, I'm, I'm going to send it as hard as I can. So I bought a laser welder, which was $30,000, more money than I'd ever spent in my life. Most of my friends are buying cars and, you know, doing things like that. I bought a laser welder. Yeah. Um, and I moved to Church Street at the same time. And the laser welder, in order to pay for that, I went around to all of the eyeglass shops. And I said, I know that you're in the business of selling new eyeglasses. But I also know that you have some clients that can't afford new, new frames. Sometimes you'll break them. You know, things happen. Um, if I create a flyer that has my map, a map of where to find me and my information on the back and a $5 off uh, gift certificate on the front, would you give those to your clients um, for broken frames? Um, and what's their incentive there to do that? Well, they want to help their clients. Their client can't afford a new pair of frames. Um, so it was, uh, it was a little niche that I found that the laser welder could do better than anything else. Um, laser welders, uh, they can uh, weld at a 0.2 to 2 millimeter range. Um, it's literally a beam of light that's hotter than the surface of the sun for millions of a second. Oh. So I can weld the bridge of eyeglasses perfectly, perfectly straight, really strong welds. Um, and that person can get another two years on those iframes eye when they can't afford a five, six hundred dollar pair new. Okay. Um, now is that a service that you still offer? It's not. No. No. Um, but during my heyday of that, I was probably doing, during the summer was always heavier, people were more active. So I was doing two, a, two to three a day. Um, so that was, and they were fifty dollars a pop for a repair and I offered a one year warranty and, and things of that nature. Um, so I was making a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars a day just repairing eyeglasses. Did I love repairing eyeglasses? No, yeah. but it was bearable. I was still using a cool piece of machinery. Um, I got a few engagement rings from repairing people, people's eyeglasses, um, sunglasses too. So is that um, part of what you would uh, advise people is like when you're getting started, you know, take on what, yeah. what you have to to kind of just Find, get things flowing. And then well, again, if you, can't, if you can't bear it, like you're not gonna last. You, you will eventually mentally break down. I mean, at least I would. But would you so, say there were some things that you had to do at the time, like for example, you know, welding eyeglasses? Yeah, that was a that was a little bit of a sacrifice. Yeah. You know, but it was it was bearable. It paid for the laser plus rent most of the time. Yeah. So I now had like a bare operating like line where I'm like, okay, I as long as I do eyeglasses, I can survive. That means that now I can concentrate on learning CAD. I can concentrate on getting my MGA degree. I can concentrate on whatever I want to over here because I know that this is set up and I know that I'm going to be fine doing this. Yeah. Um, and, and just for your mentality, knowing that you're going to be okay while running a business is hugely important. Yeah. I mean, anxiety can be a killer. It can, it can really stop you in your tracks. Absolutely. It, it especially 
if you're required to sell romance, yeah. you cannot be anxious while doing that. Yeah, I so, mean, these other people are showing up and they already have no clue. you got to at least be the one who's got it together. There. Absolutely. Um, now, in terms of back to the whole business end of things, how important is it to have you know a good accountant or good money management? And what's your yeah. sort of approach on all that, Ben? So you need to learn a stupid amount of skills, like stupid amount of skills. At least I did in order to survive. I, I didn't have a huge budget. I didn't have you know a building given to me or, or anything like that. So um, I had to learn how to write HTML. You know that was not my thing. Yeah. I had to learn how to use Photoshop quite well to create uh, postings, advertisements, things like that. Um, I had to learn QuickBooks. Um, I had to learn you know a laundry list of things um, so I would say that would be another point of advice that I would give for people that are just starting be perfectly comfortable with the learning process and know that you're going to learn a lot of things and give yourself a break because it's it's going to take a lot of time yeah. and uh, at what point would you say a, a business owner should kind of be seeing, I know in the restaurant industry they usually say it's about three years. How long should people give themselves before, if it doesn't seem like it's working, maybe they need to pivot and kind of... I would say that's entirely on the um, you know financials and the way that business is doing. Um, I don't think there's any good like um, uh, format for saying like uh, quit or, or try something else, but uh, learning to pivot is a is a huge skill. Um, learning to pivot for me means not having too much attachment on one specific thing and being able to let that go with very little grief in order to change or, or get to where you need to go. Yeah. Um, a small example was I originally wanted to call Starlust Star-Crossed Jewelers, right? old uh, um, Romeo and Juliet sort of thing, star-crossed lovers. I dropped the lovers because I wanted it to be two people. Um, and I tried to get that trademark and I got denied someone had owned it. And I'm not surprised because it's quite a popular term. Um, and um, I was a little bit upset about that and didn't know what to do. And Starlust popped into my head one day, never looked back. And then it was just... That little uh, ability to change your rudder, to just pivot a little bit, um, is is really, really important. Right. Particularly in today's society where things are changing at an exponential uh, rate. What type of programs are there in Vermont that either you have utilized or that you're familiar with that, you know, whether there be... Um, gathering of the minds or mm. just business-wise that you could maybe point people yeah. in that direction? Um, when you first start, CEDO uh, is uh, Community and Economic Development Office is great. They'll show you structure. They'll say, well, you need uh, an LL. Well, they're not going to give you legal advice, but they'll say you need a business entity. You need to have an LLC or an S-Corp S or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, generator Space um, is also, we're lucky to have them. Um, there's a couple of programs that they've launched uh, recently. Uh, Launch VT, I think, is one of them. Okay. Um, 
there's a few different um, other, uh, not maker spaces, but um, what is the name for uh, group offices, if you will. Okay. Um, there's VSets, uh, Hula just started. Um, so there's, I mean, if I had started today, I would have been thrilled because there's an incredible amount of resources that are available today compared to 2004. 2004, unless I miss something, which there's certainly that possibility. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a plethora. There, there was none of this. <laughs> there was not group space. There were no maker spaces. Cedo um, was around. Sibo uh, was around. Um, Earlier years, uh, BNI Business Networking International is a really good one. Um, that's phenomenal for networking, and it's it's right to the point networking. Saying we want to make money and we want to do it by if I make you money, you're going to want to make me money, and we create this relationship. Yeah. Um, and gosh, I have clients from still have clients that uh, I met in BNI. 15 years ago that's awesome so that's awesome um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you've done some charity work um, yeah can you tell us a little bit about some of the, the pieces that you've made and yeah I mean I, really I donate pieces um, almost every year um, I've done them for many many cat, uh, kennels um, the um, the LGBTQ uh, plus community um, uh, several schools um, online raffles. The last one I did was um, for um, Turning Point Center. Um, I was really happy. I I think that was auctioned for somewhere around five thousand five hundred dollars for that one during their annual auction before the apocalypse. Yep. Um, so that's that's helping. Um, substance abuse uh folks suffering from sub substance abuse in the area yeah. um so how do, I, how do people uh what what does that relationship look like are you or do they just approach you and then you kind of decide what you want to make and are you at yeah well it's it's a little of both i do get approached on from different organizations and some i i not interested in supporting yeah. um but for the majority um if i can um i'll do what i can yeah um now i know this uh, this isn't a cue to tell everyone out there hey hit him up because he does you know free work or whatever but uh i just think you know it's important to acknowledge the fact that you have been doing thank great you. things in our community thank you. One of my one of my favorites is actually um, an orphanage in South Africa that I've supported for several years now. Um, I do have a piece that I just made um, that I will be auctioning fairly soon okay. um, to support that that orphanage. And um, well, is that information at Vermont Gem Lab? I'll put it up there. Okay. Yeah, I'll put a link um, as soon as I set that up. Okay. But yeah. And once again, we'll have uh, links in the description for for both Starlust and the Vermont Gem Lab. Um, also, somewhere in here, we can throw in some slides of some of your work and whatnot. Appreciate that. Cool. Thank you. But we really appreciate you coming out today, or actually having us come in, I should say. Yeah. And uh, it's been great to just catch up. Um, is there anything else you feel like folks should know about the business end of things, or? Hmm. I mean, obviously, that's a pretty loaded question. Yeah, there's. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to unpack. You learn so much being a business for yourself. Um, 
I would say one of the things, one of the greatest hurdles for me that took me a long time to get over was um, letting go of your competitors and not being angry or upset about your lack of um, privilege, maybe you can say. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was upset for probably well over a decade because a lot of the other stores in the area were given a building, you know, with apartments above. So you're guaranteed to exist and thrive. Um, but you can't control that. You can't control that. Yeah. It, it's something that, you know, you're only slowing yourself down there. You're, they're not angry about you being angry, yeah. right? So you're spending your time being angry about something that's only inside of you and that's, that you're only holding on to. Yeah. So um, learning to let that go, that was tricky for me because I grew up so poor and like, you know, that it's sort of like part of like growing up poor that you're forever seeking something. You're forever saying, why not me? Why, why not me? Absolutely. Um, and, and letting go of that um, is really important in order to be the person that you want to be and focusing on that person that you want to be. And, and if you think of it like the best version of yourself, they're so far past worrying about their competitors because they're in front of it. They're, they've already surpassed it. Yeah. Um, and uh, that person is definitely not stuck in the past or, or worrying about what I might say gently as petty things. Yeah. But it's not petty. It's, it's, it's damage from your past that's hard to come to terms with. You, you, have to, you really have to look that bear right in the eyes and say, that, that sucked that that happened to me. That sucked. But there's no use in me carrying that on into my the next years of my life. Yeah, focus on what you want, not what you don't want. Absolutely. No doubt. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a good point to wrap it up here. Uh, once again, we're with Ken and Young from the Vermont Gem Lab. And uh, we will put the links in the description. And it's such a pleasure to set off the Vermont Japanor edition with you, my brother. No doubt. Hugs, bro. Golden Hour. This is a one-of-a-kind guest, Mr. Ken and Young. Thanks for having me. We out.